Good evening. Um, you are watching Uncensored Radio. How we ended up this way, uh, this is week three of the Dana show. Um, life has been really busy for everybody, and I am here to talk about things. And I think tonight we are going to talk about... Um, hmm. I don't know. I haven't decided yet. Honestly, there's a lot of things I could kind of rant about. So, Bouncing back and forth between a few different ideas, um, I had the idea to talk about theology and atheism. Um, I had the idea to talk about free will and determinism. I had the idea to talk about um, healthy and unhealthy attachment styles. Um, I had the idea to talk about uh, coping mechanisms. I had the idea to talk about peculiar tracks of thought. Um, so I think I'm going to start with that one because I don't, I don't know that I can make an entire show about strange tracks of thought, but I think it might be fun for a little while to just kind of go off and explore the weird things. I think I'm the only one that thinks about, um, so sometimes, like, uh, I don't know if you have anxiety at all, but occasionally it'll get me right before bed. Um, you'll just be laying there and you'll want to stare at the ceiling and think about um, all of your upcoming responsibilities and all of your past mistakes. And you want to recount every mistake you made. Um, you know, like when that one guy says hi to you and you reply with good, and then for the rest of the day, you're like, what's wrong with me? Why can't I say hi back? And when someone says, how you doing? And you say hi, and you should have said good that time. And you've said good at the wrong time. And you can't do it at the right time. Oh, that one loiters with you for the entire day. You're just stuck. So while well, you're sitting there ruminating, thinking about all of the stuff that is unreconciled inside your mind, um, a fun thing I like to do, I call it my, it, it's, well, I don't really have a name for it. it it's kind of like the sphere of darkness, <laughs> I'm going to call it, the sphere of darkness. Um, it's an interesting kind of thought exercise. Um, I don't know if anyone else does this, but um, I like to create scenarios that are as complex and explorative as possible. Oh, excuse me. Um, it'll, I'll start out, I'll close my eyes, and I'll try to go to a quiet place. And usually at night it's quiet, so I don't have any trouble with that. But I try to imagine I'm in a black sphere. Um, and in this sphere, I'm basically... I, I can create anything I want. Um, I can start and I, I've kind of built universes inside my little sphere. Um, I can make it grow as large as I want. Um, I can create particles and I give them inherent properties and try to figure out how they interact with each other. Um, how I would devise my own forms of matter. Um, what my different states of matter would look like, um, how I would create light, how I would recreate um, 
forces that pull and pull, electrical forces, uh, nuclear forces, uh, different radiating forces, and uh, how they interact with each other. Um, kind of like making a game, um, a game like uh, like how ch chess pieces move in different ways and interact in different ways. I can create an entire universe that behaves and acts in its own way. And I can make it as complicated and as beautiful as I want, or I can stay simple and make it as meditative as I want. And just think about simple shapes revolving around each other, um, contemplating shadows and uh, just the, the, the physics of different scenarios. Um, but it's more an exercise in my own imagination, uh, my ability to genuinely create and be creative um, and just come up with different perspectives at looking at existence in the universe that we live in. Um, I don't know if I'm the only one that does that. Maybe there's other people that do that. I'm not sure, um, but you might want to give it a try. It's fun. Maybe somebody thinks it's boring. I don't know. I think it's fun. Um, let's see. Another thing I like to do. Um, we could talk about um, different perceptions of the physical universe. Um, I can take and have, have you ever um, quietly sat in a chair out in nature and you watch like the leaves rustle and uh, think about like the as, as, as your mind starts to wander and you, you start to get stressed out again, you can kind of refocus. Um, I like to think about the experience of being all the different things around me. Um, try to think about what it would feel like to be a tree and have wind blowing through my leaves. Or try to think about what it would be like to be a single blade of grass and like a tightly packed group of grass kind of blowing around in the wind. Or what it would feel like to be a rock and have rain falling on you. I mean, obviously these things don't have a nervous system and they don't feel things in the same way we do, but it would be interesting to kind of imagine yourself as the different parts of your reality, um, give you a different perspective on where you fall within that. Maybe it'll make you walk on grass a little bit different. Maybe it'll think you make you think twice before you snap a limb off of a tree. Uh, just to kind of give your uh, life a little bit more uh, intention as you kind of travel through it. Um, let's see, what's another peculiar thing that I like to do? Um, oh, time travel. There's a fun one. Um, I'm sure there's probably lots of other people that do this one. Um, the whole feeling like, oh man, I, I was born at the wrong time. I should have been born 300 years ago. I would have been so much happier. Or, I'm not bored far enough to the future. I want more technology. Everything's so archaic. I wish I was born 100 years in the future. I'm like, It's fun to kind of sit there and think about uh, how things would be different and the different problems and different activities that you could do in different times. And I almost like to think about like not even so much like what life would be like in the past or in the future, but I like to think about how technology changes the social structure of how we interact. Um, that's one of the interesting things. I'll, I'll go on a side tangent here. Um, one of the reasons I like science fiction books and a lot of really good ones from like the 60s and 70s and even the 80s, um, the best part about a lot of science fiction books is they explore the sociological impact of technology on social structure and hierarchy. Um, things like how our instantaneous communication right now um, allows us to share information so fast and technology is progressing faster and faster because we have these think tanks involving people from all over the globe and they can communicate back and forth instantly and share their ideas and grow faster. Um, imagine how much simpler and slower and anxiety-free it must have been 500 years ago when most people couldn't read or write and 
if you wanted to communicate something with somebody, you could maybe send a letter, um, you could send a messenger, or you could travel there yourself and talk to a person. Now, I think the freedom and the quiet mind of not having the fear of missing out, that FOMO, that, I don't know that it even existed back then. Like, I mean, sure, you had like gossip that would travel through town and you've got like the town crier and things like that, but it was isolated to these little towns and villages. They had no clue what was happening a few hundred miles away, and they may never know. That was a a day and an age where you could move 10 miles down the road, you may never see the same person again. (laughs) um, Also, it was a time where you could die of diarrhea or a flea bite also, so that's exciting. Let's see, we're, we're uh, going towards the future, like uh, thinking about the sociological impact of um, different uh, technologies as they arrive. Like um, what would uh, what would dating culture and what would relationships be like 100 years from now, uh, thinking about if uh, we have cured all diseases? I mean, maybe people still age and die. Um, I mean, your genetic breakdown may be inevitable, but maybe we've cured all diseases at some point, and everybody lives to be like 120 um, with a fairly good quality of life. Um, what uh, what do relationships look like? Do marriages dissolve? Um, do that does that become different cultures? Um, would there be people that remain monogamous for years and years and years and years? Or does the fear of disease and complication kind of bind people together out of safety? Um, would uh, dating be a lot more cavalier? Uh, would people even choose to be in long-term relationships if there was no threat of disease or pregnancy? I don't know. Um, what about um, jobs? I mean, is as AIs progress and technology increases, um, manufacturing and writing and art, they all become a lot more um, automated. I mean, you can write words into an AI right now and it'll generate art for you. And it's pretty impressive. Um, You can give topics, it'll scour the internet for articles, and it'll write articles for you. And you don't have to do anything. Um, I like to think about uh, how that's going to change the way we educate ourselves in the future, um, where a lot more things are done for us. It really comes, it, it, it gives us the opportunity to put our focus on more uh, obscure concepts and realizations of um, ideas and directions of thought rather than having to focus on the semantics of the details and the minutiae underneath it. Like you're, you're conceptualizing and you're, you're putting pieces together rather than having to do the drudgery, monotonous, like keying in words and doing the research where something can just do it for you. You can almost download the information that you truly want in your head. Um, so I think education is going to be a lot different rather than educating people on specific information and having them memorize it. I think it's going to be more educating people on how to interact with technology to find the information as they need it and know where to look for it. Um, and know the communities like is uh, social interaction changes, uh, remote cultures, obviously becoming a lot more, uh, impacted with COVID. Um, I think the the metaverse or virtual technology is going to really start becoming something that we should keep an eye on. Um, I know I'm probably behind everybody's like, oh yeah, obviously, I mean, crypto and the metaverse and all of these RPGs and all this immersion software and hardware, uh, we can basically have a virtual society and that may be the way it goes i mean is it more expensive to get on a plane pack get your passport take time off of work and travel to italy to 
to go for a walk down the street? Or could you put in a, put on a hyper-realistic bodysuit and go there for the cost of using that technology? I mean, to bandwidth, basically, com computational power um, almost becomes like teleporting. You, you can be anywhere at any time, um, interacting with anyone in almost like a physical environment. So that's interesting to think about. How would that impact social structure and hierarchy? Um, would it be that the poor people are using that technology to kind of escape from their meager surroundings where rich people can actually experience those luxuries in physical reality where the poor people have to just experience it in the virtual world? That'd be, that'd be an interesting idea for a movie or a TV show. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's there's different explorations I can do for like what it would be in different times and how that impacts society and how we interact with each other. Um, another strange thing that I do, I don't know if it's strange, but um, uh, a kind of thought experiments. Um, I like to think about um, as I'm doing things, uh, not to just go through and complete a task, but uh, I'll, I'll use preparing food. Um, I'll take out vegetables and I'll get out a cutting board and I will chop lettuce or carrots or whatnot. Um, have you ever actually taken the time to be present during your monotonous tasks to observe what's actually happening and how you could improve it or enjoy it in a different way? Um, chopping vegetables. Um, I take a great deal of pleasure in improving my day-to-day -day monotonous tasks. Um, if I can sharpen a knife and enjoy chopping more, I think it multiplies my ability to avoid the tedious thoughts of going along with these maintenance items that you have to do throughout the day. Um, if you can clean the air filters on your vacuum cleaner and clean it out and put new brushes on it and use it. It becomes a lot more satisfying to use. It works better and it feels good to see that vacuum cleaner picking up more dirt. Like it's, it's a satisfying feeling. Um, so I do little things like that. Like how can I adjust how I make coffee to make the coffee a little bit better each time? How can I adjust how I sharpen the knife or how can I adjust how I chop up my salad to make it just a little bit better each time? How does it feel as the knife passes through the carrot or the lettuce or the cucumber? Um, like what kind of edge did I put on that? And like critiquing little bits and pieces like, okay, that's pretty good. I can do that a little bit better. That feels good. All right, I enjoy cutting this vegetable. This vegetable is satisfying to cut. It's a very smooth cutting vegetable. And I like the way that feels and sounds. That's fun. Um, but just to be more appreciative of the little things that you do throughout the day. And rather than just mindlessly doing it, you know, be present for it, enjoy it. It's one of the stupid little things that you have to do as a human that you can either hate it or you can experience it with a certain novelty. Like, hey, look, I'm an ape using this tool to feed myself. This is novel. Uh -huh. So that's fun. Um, What's, um, I'm trying to think, I knew I wouldn't have enough for an entire show. Um, I think I'm kind of running out of steam on my, on my weird things to think about train. Um, but I don't know if that comes from, uh, being alone a lot as a child or being one of the last generations out there that can still use technology, but still remembers what it was like to have a TV that had knobs on it and no internet and phones that were tied to the wall. And when you wanted to hang out with a friend, like you had to look in the front yards to where all the bikes were to find them. <laughs> so, um, yeah, maybe, maybe it comes from boredom. Maybe those weird thought experiments and whatnot just come from being alone and having to think, and that's all that you can do. Uh, so.
So I think we can get to a different topic now. Maybe this will be a multi-topic Dana show. Um, let's see. Let's talk about, uh, yeah, I mentioned this earlier. How about free will and determinism? And that has been a debate, hasn't it? It, it seems that the more we know about human physiology and cellular mechanics and the human mind itself, the closer we get to an answer, but we don't have one. And it seems like you're constantly dividing things by a half. Like you can keep cutting things in half infinitely and never get to zero. And that's what it almost feels like in the debate between free will and determinism. Um, You can say that obviously we have free will. I make choices all the time. I make decisions. I, I can do this or I can do that or I can not do either, or I can do both, or I can do this first and I can do that second, or I can do two different things entirely and not do these things. I've chosen that. Have you chosen that? Or has your existence put just the right information in your head for your human biological computer to have measured the possibilities and for based on that specific timing and in that environment, you could have only made the choice that you made. Maybe paralyzation is the only way you can free yourself from determinism by just choosing not to make a choice. Uh, that's interesting to think about. Um, do we have free will? I don't know. Um, I almost think that we, as a group, as a, as a society, kind of push ourselves into a direction that resembles free will, but I don't think the individual person may have free will. Um, I feel like it, all the experiences that you gather and all the information that you put in your head, your, your mind is basically a measuring engine. Um, it has chemical responses, it has electrical responses, um, it has memories to make better choices. You remember things because do I remember that as being good or do I remember that as being bad? I will avoid that if that is bad. I will go towards that if that is good. Um, Maybe we've had situations where uh, we've had a bad friendship, somebody took advantage of us and we remember different aspects and different things. And maybe we feel like we're making choices that were what we wanted, but basically we were just avoiding something negative and moving towards something positive, consuming or staying warm, something to move us more towards homeostasis, towards that baseline comfort level. Um, Maybe that's the whole predominance for our choices. Literally, the four Fs, uh, fight, flight, food, fucking, I think, were the four Fs. Um, your, your four motivations for existing. Um, anyway, um, it'd be interesting. I, I've, I've listened to a lot of audiobooks on the debate between free will and determinism, and there's no consensus in either direction. So it's fun listening to an unwinnable argument. Um, It's like the argument between atheism and theism. Um, Well, there is a God. Well, no, there's not. Prove there's not. Prove there is. There's nobody can ever win that argument. I mean, it is as big as science gets and as small as God gets it. Somebody who believes in God can always say, well, you just have to have faith. Your feeble mind can't comprehend the awesome computational power and omnipresence of a Lord. Okay, well, there's no evidence for that either. So <laughs> it's, a, it's just an unwinnable argument. There's, a, there's always going to be somebody somewhere saying, no, oh, I've got the, reason, the answer, and, and, and nobody does. Um, I don't know. It's it's fun to think about, though. Like, am I just making these choices based on all the 
information that I've accumulated? Or am I actually moving through existence with free will? I don't know. Or do you know? Uh, something to think about. Um, let's see. What else can we think about tonight? Um, how about, uh, ooh, I don't really want to get into coping mechanisms. That's a whole show all on its own. Um, let's see. What about, ooh, no, I don't want to do politics either. Um, ah, I have one. How about a person's ability to adapt and its relationship to suffering? Um, that's interesting to think about. How about that? Um, the majority of our human interactions are lens through our perception of experiences. Um, we have a lifetime of gathered experiences that we deem positive or negative. And I think on the whole, we group them in all sorts of different baskets. There's no like binary yes or no. I mean, there are obviously yes or no. I mean, but um, we have a variety of experiences. There's multiple shades of gray. There's no yes or no's to a lot of things. Um, and how do we um, how do we let those experiences shape our perception of our environment around us? Um, depression, anxiety, dissatisfaction, anger. I think a lot of that, a lot of those chemical reactions that happen within our bodies, uh, a lot of those uh, memories and a lot of that stimulation and how it impacts on our minds and our physiology, I think it's directly related to our ability to adapt. Um, and I'll use, um, I'll use the example of um, new information. How about new information? Let's say, um, let's say you've used a, an old home remedy and your parents have taught you that this is the cure for, uh, um, we'll, we'll say um, you, you've got a, a bloody nose and the, for generations your family has taught you that, oh, well, for a bloody nose, you have to pinch your nose really tight, tilt your head back and gargle salt water for whatever reason. Um, do you know why that you do that? I mean, your, your nose does eventually stop bleeding, whether I guess you do that or not but you attribute that action with making your nose stop bleeding. Um, if somebody challenges you with this information and they say, well, that's insane. Um, you don't need to do that. Um, you can just hold some tissues on your nose and it will stop and you don't need to pinch real hard and you don't need to gargle salt water. I don't know what that's about. Uh, you can, show somebody medical articles that describe uh, how clotting works and the physiology of a nosebleed and explain that the salt water has no relation to that whatsoever. Um, people have a hard time with things like that. Um, but that means that one of my core beliefs, one of my core memories isn't right. I've based a lot of things in my life on that core belief or that core memory or what I've been taught, uh, that ritual, that, that thing that made me feel safe. Um, and you're challenging that. Does that person have the ability to incorporate this new information and change their opinion? Or does that challenge to their core belief put them into a state of fear and anger. Um, can they adapt? Maybe, maybe you've really challenged something that they don't 
feel like that you can't challenge with them. They've already incorporated it. It's set in stone. They can't make a differentiation between your new information and attack on them personally. Um, you see that happen a lot with uh, the atheists that like to kind of poke the bear with Christians and say, well, uh, there's the, uh, and you, your evidence isn't evidence just because you believe doesn't make it real. We're not fairies. And you see these people challenged where they, they can't rectify it in their head. They're like, I just can't, I can't, I can't think about not existing anymore. I can't think about dying and not going somewhere. I can't think about my consciousness not being involved in the universe anymore. I can't think about my interaction with physical reality as being gone. Like you have challenged something that they believed in so hard that their only response to that is to get angry at you or to look at you as lesser of a person like, well, you're the dumb one. I'm obviously not dumb. I know the answer. Like you, 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 poor thing. You're so misguided. I, I, I'm really smart here because I believe in this imaginary thing. Um, and they'll get fiercely passionate and defend something. Their, their bloody nose remedy. They'll defend this bloody nose remedy, whether it's right or wrong. Uh, politics. Uh, gays are bad. Uh, my dad has always said gays are bad, so gays are bad. My dad has always said black people are bad. Black people are bad, obviously. You can't change my mind. They, these are the people that don't know how to adapt. They're the people that can't see new information and integrate it with their thought. They they can't change things beyond a certain point. They've, they've created their rules for the universe that they've perceived in their head and they can't change the way that they think or they see or they feel about a certain topic. Um, it's interesting. You, you see people do the same thing with medicine. Um, you can recommend to somebody that, well, you, you need chemotherapy. Um, you have cancer and you're going to get much worse if you don't do this. You could recover if you do this. Oh, no, I'll, I'm just going to rub this essential oil on it, and I'm going to meditate and do yoga, and I'm going to pray it away, and it'll be fine. I can just eat these herbs and take these supplements, and I don't have to deal with that. No, no, I don't need that vaccine because Jenny McCarthy's kid got autism from it. Um, I believe that. I'll, I'll just take these horse tranquilizers. Uh, there's so much craziness out there. People just unable to change their beliefs. People just, it's just people set in stone. Like, I believe what, this is my opinion. I believe in what I believe in now until I'm presented with more convincing information that shows me otherwise. I believe that, say, this medicine is good for treating this disease right now. Do I believe that forever? No. What if we become out with, in 20 years, let's say we have genetic engineering that can clone different parts of the human body. What if we can bioengineer, uh, uh, say, the ultimate thalamus? I don't know if you know what a thalamus is. It's a it's kind of like the training center for your immune system. It sits on top of your heart. Um, basically, your blood flow, all your things like your, your T-cells from the thalamus. Um, they go through and they fight off infections and bacteria. And they, they basically, your thalamus, um, it looks at everything inside your body. And it has a little example of it. And it, it, it breeds these things that seek out things that don't belong in your body destroys them. Um, what if we can engineer a super thalamus and we can put that in people, uh, little pieces of it, and maybe now we can fight off all these diseases without any medicine. Like, well, hey, have you gotten that thalamus upgrade? Well, obviously that's new information. Uh, I would much rather have uh, my own body fighting things off and creating a 
uh, awesome immune system that I don't have to worry about vaccines and I don't have to worry about different diseases, cancers. Maybe that kind of technology exists in 40 years. I don't know. That would be fantastic. Am I going to cling to the idea that Sudafed and antibiotics are the best solution to getting sick? No. I was presented with new information. There's new information. There's there's new things that I believe in, and I can change the way I think. I'm not going to cling to this idea that seems antiquated and crazy. That's why so many things, like our legal system, capitalism, it's hundreds and hundreds of years old. Would you would you go to a doctor that practiced medicine from 400 years ago? Doctor slash barber slash dentist slash barber. 400 years ago, that's what you got. And but we use 400 year old government. We use 2000 year old theology. We use hundreds of thousands of year old prejudice every day. People don't seem to be integrating the new information. They don't seem to be moving beyond. And I think that's where evolution really needs to take place. Um, Can humans evolve to adapt to new information? It almost feels like no. It almost feels like the majority of people really just want things to be the way they remember them because they were good then. Still good now. There was a lot of bad things happening when you thought everything was great. You just didn't know about it because we didn't have the internet. Nobody talked about it because people were repressed. You, it was bad. It, medicine was bad. Um, the way people treated each other, it just wasn't communicated as easily. You, you didn't have cameras everywhere. You didn't have recording devices. You didn't have information getting transferred at like the speed of light. It just didn't happen. You got to realize like you can't go backwards. Things weren't better then. They were worse then. We just know about a lot more bad things that are happening now. It's pretty good right now, honestly. Um, the pandemic, yeah, it's it sucks, but it's happened before. I mean, 100 years ago, we had a similar thing happen. We didn't handle it as well. It's pretty great. We're handling it really well right now. A lot of people are dying, but it's a lot better than it could have been. So that's what a pandemic is. We did that now. We've learned a lot of things. Let's see what the next one's going to be like. Um, so yeah, how uh, how people process new information. Um, do they get passionate? Do they get angry? Or do they take time to weigh the information that they're given and make new choices? Do they change their core beliefs when presented with new information or with information that they didn't have before? I, I think that's a good way of measuring a person's intelligence. Um, what else can we talk about? We're getting, uh, we've got about 20 minutes left. What's a good 20 minute topic? Uh, 20 minutes of Dana's brain. Um, let's see. How about the universe? Let's, let's talk about physics a little bit. Let's talk about um, string theory. Uh, that's kind of an interesting one. The multiverse. Uh, we could talk about um, what happens inside a black hole beyond the singularity? Um, I have kind of a theory. You want to hear my crazy theory? Okay, sure you do. Um, so there's limits to our universe. There's limits to the speed that information can travel in our universe. Um, there's limits to each one of the forces, it seems like. Um, Gravity and time and the fabric of space, they're all pieces of the same thing, um, which is interesting to think about. Um, and another thing that's interesting to think about is no matter what direction you look in outer space, you'll end up at the beginning of the universe. Ooh. Well, that's crazy to think about, right? That the fabric of space-time warps and bends to the point that no matter what direction you look out into the night sky, if you traveled infinitely in that direction at an instant, 
you would still end up back at the beginning of the universe from that one point that was in a direction. That is interesting. Um, let's talk about what happens inside a black hole. Um, as matter is pulled into a black hole. Well, let's talk about what a black hole is. You have such a dense core of matter at this point that its gravitational pull, one of the weaker of the universal forces, like, I mean, you've got like the strong force, the weak force, like you've got uh, the different types of radiation. There's a lot of different forces, magnetism. Um, of all the forces, gravity is actually one of the weakest ones in the universe. But on a macroscopic scale, when you multiply it up to the size of planets, gravity becomes one of the more dominating forces. And it's impressive because we have such a wealth of matter in our universe. Um, so as matter stacks on top of itself, the gravity compounds, uh, similar to like when you stack magnets together, the magnetic force gets bigger. So as you stack matter on top of itself, it warps the fabric of space-time. And I say space and time because it doesn't just create a pull in a linear direction on physical matter. It actually creates a pull on time itself. They're parts of the same thing. Um, as you get closer to a black hole, as that gravitational power increases, something happens called spaghettification. Um, it's interesting. Your body or whatever physical object is getting closer to that event horizon. Um, the actual particles start to lose their cohesion with each other. That gravity is pulling so strongly that you start to stretch and you start to deform and you start to warp. Um, like the heat waves that rise off a hot asphalt, you just stretch and wiggle and pull out. But from your perception, you don't see that. It, it, from where you are and as you're moving, everything travels at the same speed. Everything feels pretty much the same other than you are moving at an incredible pace. But from the outside perspective, that gravity is pulling you so hard that time almost stops from an outside perspective. If someone were trying to watch you through a telescope, say, a light year away, and they had a powerful enough telescope where they could see you going into that black hole, to them, you'd be frozen in space. You wouldn't even be moving. For you, the passage of time is completely different. Your time is moving so much slower than everything else in the universe because that gravity is not affecting it. And as you get beyond that event horizon, the event horizon is the part where you are within the gravitational pull of something so powerful that even the photons, like light, which interestingly enough is both radiation, it's a field and a particle. Whoa. That's a neat thing to think about, too. Not only is it a field like, like in the electromagnetic spectrum, but it also behaves like a particle. And even those photons, the fastest thing in the universe, the lightest, one of the lightest things, it can go right through matter. Like, you've seen it. You can take a super bright flashlight and shine it right through your hand. Light can travel right through matter. Um, it can't get away from that gravity it has reached a pull that's so strong that even light can't escape it, thus black hole. Um, what happens inside that event horizon? Um, there has to be a concentrated point, a point at the center of matter that's getting crushed in upon itself. What happens at the point where those particles, even to the atomic level, they start fusing together. They go beyond fusion, like beyond what's happening in the, the sun, where the things are crushed to the point where they ignite and melt and burn 
in a nuclear fire. They're beyond that. They're at the point now where they're crushed so tightly together that they can't even vibrate. They can't even do anything. They can't burn off any kind of any kind of energy. There's no there's no ability to create heat and they lock together to the point where those particles start touching and crushing against each other. When you start breaking into electrons and neutrons, you have a nuclear explosion. Uh, when you split atoms, you release a mass of energy. Is that energy being released in our universe? I propose that it is not. Um, I tend to think that the inside of each supergiant black hole may be the creation of a new universe. Um, the universe that we have, everything that's pulled into that black hole, it's all the building blocks for our universe there. It's all sucked in there. And we're perhaps we're blowing a pocket out of our universe beyond the confines of the physical reality that we experience and creating a big bang. Well, I'm saying we create, but at the core of each black hole, what if that creates a big bang? That particulate blows into a new vacuous void that is another universe, um, that is another layer of existence, another big bang infinitely. Um, that creates such a dimension of limitlessness to our universe. We could have multiple universes existing in different dimensions. We could have multiple timelines based on different possibilities of things that could happen. And now we could have different layers to our own universe where different boundaries you can pass through, where different universes exist on different layers, black holes basically being the seeds of a new universe within our own universe that kind of spider web inward or outward or adjacently like the roots of a tree um yeah what if that's happening we don't know really um there is a certain amount of energy released from black holes um, as the universe cools um, everything spreads further apart Eventually, all the matter just kind of fizzles out. It freezes. It gets sucked into the last remaining black holes. and It gets cold and dark. And then eventually, the gravitational radiation, that well, the Hawking's radiation that emanates from each one of these black holes eventually shrinks it into nothing. Does that seal off the gateway to each one of those universes that were created in the heart of each black hole? Do they exist like uh, different uh, cells or different atoms inside each pieces of our matter? As proposed in string, string theory, um, when you break down different particles and you go into electrons and neutrons and protons, they're made of mathematical vibrating strings. That's thus string theory. Um, like thinking of uh, rubber band balls, like all these little strings like snacked on top of each other and just vibrating with energy. Um, what's beyond that? What goes inside there? Like you, you can infinitely, if you could infinitely see inside each different building block and each different piece, like if you think back in time when uh, we first invented the microscope and germ theory was the biggest thing, like, oh, for the longest time, people believed that the smallest things, you, you had to be able to see it for it to exist. And then all of a sudden, you could see down smaller, and there's an entire ecosystem and a drop of water that you had no idea about. You didn't know it was making you sick. Well, it's these little living things. They're colonizing inside your body. Whole new understanding. Well, what happens when we can see beyond that, that mathematical scale? Are we, are we going to break through a new dimension, a new level of comprehension that'd be neat i hope i'm around for that um what does that mean for existence what does that mean for uh, the exploration of 
new fields of research? What does that mean for uh, new technologies? I mean, that's some of the most exciting stuff for me to think about is what there still is left to learn. What, uh, what are those unanswered questions? Like those theoretical what ifs of, of minds that have come before me and it, that'll be out there after me. Um, what about, um, here's a question I have, like, maybe this is, I'm the only one that thought about this, but, um, time travel. So I don't think that can ever work. Um, when you think about if I wanted to go back 50 years, let's say I wanted to time travel back 50 years and I found a way to do it. Like I found a way to loop through time and 50 years hasn't happened and I'm right back in this spot and it's 50 years in the past. I would be floating in space or hopefully just floating in space. Maybe I would also be inside an asteroid or a comet or a star. I don't know. 50 years ago, our solar system, this planet, everything, the moon, it was not in the same spot. Everything's moving. You'd just be sending yourself somewhere to die that the planet isn't anymore. <laughs> so I don't know how people think time travel could be a thing unless you somehow could travel through time and simultaneously teleport to a specific coordinate in space. I don't know. I don't see that happening. So that kind of ruins that science fiction for me. But you can still play with time uh, traveling at different speeds. That's fun to think about. Um, the, cloud, the faster you get towards the speed of light, uh, the slower time goes for you. Like, if I traveled to the nearest galaxy and back um, at near the speed of light, when I got back, everybody I know would be dead. It would be hundreds of years past. <laughs> Everything would be totally different. Um, I don't know that we'll ever be able to do that, but that's interesting to think about, too. Um, when we reach a point, if, if humanity can reach a point where we can travel through space at near the speed of light, um, how many different tiers of technology will be, we be at? Um, when we leave this planet and come back to it, the advancements that will have been made or the changes that will have been different in those hundreds of years compared to the people that have gone and come back kind of eerie to think about um, what would that do to society uh, hey I'm going to go on this uh, trip and go see this really exciting galaxy when I come back my family and friends will be dead I'll have to make new friends everything will be different <laughs> maybe climate will be different maybe my house will be gone everything's going to be different that's interesting to think about the impermanence of everything just to go see something new. Um, let's talk about each other. Um, let's talk about people. We've got uh, a little more than five minutes left. Um, let's talk about how we interact with each other. Um, I, uh, I don't know. I don't talk about my favorite things a lot. I usually try to talk about what everybody else has going on. But um, a while back, I decided that Monday was going to be my favorite day. Um, I have reasons. Don't question me. <laughs> um, Monday is my favorite day. Monday is my favorite time of year. Um, one of the reasons Monday is my favorite is because usually people are tired and grumpy on Monday. And I get a great deal of satisfaction out of cheering people up on Monday. Um, I like to joke around. I like to have fun. I like to uh, force people to 
cope with the unexpected things I say, but it's a good time. But I like to cheer people up. I like to make people in a good mood. So Mondays give me a great opportunity each week to cheer people up. Um, another reason I like Mondays is because it's right after the weekend. I get to hear about my coworkers and my friends, what they got to do over the weekend. I get to tell them what I did over the weekend. We've all had a break from each other and now we're seeing each other again and we get to share the stuff that's happened, new things. That's fun. That's one of my favorite things about Monday. Um, I like routine. I like getting up at a regular time, most of the time. I like to break routine too, but for the most part, routine's comforting to me. Um, I think it does for a lot of people. I think some people, you can get bored with routine, obviously. I mean, you need to have some diversity once in a while, but routine is very calming for me. Like, it's almost like a practice. Oh, excuse me. Um, waking up at a certain time, playing games with yourself, um, seeing if you can do something a little faster than you did before, or maybe someday you just don't want to get up and you don't feel like facing that challenge and you just decide to procrastinate and lay in bed a little bit. That's uh, that's part of a routine too. You, know, you have routine procrastination. Um, but Monday's my favorite. Did I ever tell you about my favorite color? My favorite color is brown. I'll tell you the story about how brown got to be my favorite color. Um, when I was, I think it was, I don't know if I was in first grade or kindergarten, um, I sat in the back right-hand corner of the classroom, and I couldn't see very well. I didn't get glasses until I was in third grade, but um, it's, I sat in the back, and I didn't know what the teacher was doing a lot of the time, so I just kind of drew in my books, and I... It was, I was, I wasn't great at reading. I have a little bit of dyslexia, so reading is a little slow and stuttery for me. Um, so I didn't like doing it. And I got called on last, and so I kind of got filtered to the back of the room, and not a lot of kids wanted to do projects with me, and I was kind of alone a lot. Um, even when I was little, uh, like in kindergarten, I, I kind of got put in the back corner. Um, so one day we had to do an art project. And that our project was we were going to come up and get a bunch of different colors of construction paper. And then we were going to cut it and tear it and glue it and make like a collage picture. And being in the back corner, I was the very last one to get to pick my card, my construction paper. And all that was left was brown construction paper because it looked like nobody else wanted brown construction paper. And I was like, hey, that sucks. But not like you think. Like, I wasn't sad because I got stuck with brown construction paper. I was like, hey, brown construction paper, you're a lot like me. You got shuffled to the back and nobody wanted to do stuff with you. Well, guess what, brown? I'm making you my favorite color and we're going to make something cool. <laughs> so I don't remember what I made. I think I, I, if I vaguely remember it being like mountains and like a desert and like sand dunes and stuff, like a lot of brown. But. Um, I made my collage out of brown, and ever since then, I vowed that brown would be my favorite color because it gets it gets pushed to the back and ignored, and it's not everybody's favorite. So I made it my favorite. So along the same vein, uh, I did the same thing with Monday. Um, I think I kind of do that with people too. Um, I kind of gravitate towards the people that seem to have um, little broken pieces because. I like those people the most. They're the most interesting people. But I think uh, this might be a good place to end Dana's rant on random topics. Uh, not as organized as my other two, but uh, gives you a little bit of uh, interesting things to think about maybe. Um, gives you kind of a, a different perspective, a, a different human's perspective on traveling through this weird thing that we do called living. So, you know, get some sleep, get some exercise, eat some healthy food, um, 
be open to new information. Um, be open to the idea that maybe everything is determined and you're just doing what you're programmed to do. Be open to the idea that maybe you are making choices. Be open to the idea that you need to adapt to a new situation or new information. Be a little more present. Appreciate stupid little detailed things. And you might like it. It might be fun. You might enjoy that. Have a great night or day, whatever it is now. I mean, yeah. See you later. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.